Last week, we uh, were talking a whole lot about the, the Bible and the different versions of the Bible, and I thought that I would have enough time to talk a little bit about that and then get into the, the preaching on Colossians, but not only did I not have but just a little bit of time to get into Colossians, but I also... You know, there was a one more place that I really wanted to go to, and we're going to go there, and I want you to see something, and I, I shared with you all those verses that are completely missing out of the newer versions of the Bible, and I'm talking about, you know, the NIV, the NLT, the ESV, and I gave you a whole list of verses that are just completely missing, and also talked about some verses that were um, partially missing. There's a whole lot more of those, but then there's places where just one word is different, or how the word is actually translated. And, you know, there's so many different versions of the Bible, so many different. And, you know, there's the most famous verse in the Bible is John 3.16. Most everybody knows it, whether you go to church or not. Just about everybody knows that verse. Well, <clears throat> here, this is the Amplified Bible, the older one. And Michelle's mom got me this when I was uh, a lot younger than I am now. And it's wore out. It is just wore out, falling apart. I can remember when they get, it got my name right here. And I can remember when they gave it to me, and there was a certain verse I wanted to look up, a certain place of the Bible, and I just, I went like that to start looking, and it just, there it was. I didn't have to turn a page. I'm like, whoa. And I, I remember what verse it was for years and years, but I don't remember it now. But that one verse, John 3:16 in the Amplified, you know how I've told you that in different versions, it's a different number of words. And how I love the King James because there's 25 words, and the word Son, capital S, the only begotten Son, is right in the middle, perfectly centered up in that verse. And how 20, the word, 25 words and the, and the number five, I like to think of, there's so many things in the Bible that pertain to the number five dealing with grace and how that's grace times grace to make 25 words. And it's pretty cool that, that the sun is right in the middle. Well, this Amplified Bible, you want to know how many words is in that verse? 45. Very, very descriptive. So what I found out with this is you're overwhelmed with information. You're overwhelmed with words in the older Amplified Bible. I think it was copyrighted in 1965, and this is an 87 version of it. And, you know, it's helpful. It's very helpful in that it, it spells out a whole lot of uh, what you might not quite get, even the word believe. In the, the people who put the Amplified Bible together, in, in John 3.16, takes a while to read just that one verse, but when you get to the word believes, 
so that whoever believes, it has in parentheses, so that you, you understand what believe really means, not just, uh, they don't want you to just have this uh, belief like, you know, even the devils believe, and they tremble. They believe in God. They know Him well. But the believe, it says in parentheses, uh, trust in, clings to, relies on. So they really, really get into, even, even uh, shall not perish. Then in parentheses it says, for perish, come to destruction, comma, be lost, but have eternal, in parentheses, everlasting life. In the beginning of, for God so, instead of for God so loved the world, it says, for God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world. Just an example. So what I want you to see is a place in Scripture. There's two different places that it's at. And the newer versions try to make it simpler by, by replacing three words with one word. And depending on which version you read from, it'll be, it might be a different word there. Some are, they use the same word. But this is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 3. And if, if, you want to, if you want to study on your own and look some of these things up, you can write these down, these verses, so you can check them out for yourself. But this is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 3. It says, without natural affection. That's all I'm going to read out of verse 3. Without natural affection. That's what the King James Version says. All right? The NIV, the New International Version. It's hard for me to say New International. You know what I like to say, New Inaccurate Version. Now, it says without love. The ESV, which I was telling you all last week, is the new, that's the new one. That's the one that everybody's going to. The NIV's kind of falling off, and the ESV's the new one that everybody's grabbing hold of. It says heartless. Now, remember... Without natural affection is what the King James says. It's been changed in NIV to without love, in the ESV, heartless, and in many of the other versions of the Bible, it might say unloving or inhuman. So are you picking up on it? Are you, are you uh, figuring this out on your own? What does without natural affection mean? It means that you have a heart for something that's not natural. It's not that you're heartless or unloving, not that you're without love, but you have a love for things that are not natural. Maybe you love trees enough to where you want to hug them. Maybe you're an environmentalist and you love this earth more than God. That you are more into worshiping creation, but not the Creator. You might be somebody that loves animals dearly. I like them too. But that you would, you would be more upset with something bad happening to an animal, but don't care at all about what happens to humans. That would be without natural affection. <clears throat> to have so great a love for objects that God created 
and even animals, but yet won't lift a finger for an unborn baby. Actually promote that. Not just be indifferent, but actually promote things like abortion. And that's a big deal right now. It's a huge deal leading up to the elections that are coming in November. That's being brought up. Turn, turn to uh, Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. It's the other place where without natural affection is used in the Word of God. And I'm going to start with 24. Romans, Romans chapter 1, verse 24. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up. He gave them up. That's a, I just read that in 24. He gave them up. He gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men, leaving their lust, one leave, burned in their lust, leaving their lust one toward another. Hang on. No, I'm skipping a line. All right. And likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meet or suited for the sin they were committing. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over... So he gave them up, he gave them up, now he gives them over to a retrobate mind. There, there, I have a, uh, a book, I haven't read it yet, but I've, I've been told what's in it, but it's talking about the brain. It's, 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 uh, the brain is, is affected by doing bad things, by doing good things. The brain is, especially when you're little, growing up, the brain is just amazing. And, and you can mess it up bad by allowing certain things to happen and allowing certain things to be taught. And it says that, so if you are participating in, in that sin that this is talking about, that it actually will mess up your mind. Remember I was talking about how if, if a child is not corrected, not disciplined as they're growing up, and they get away with things, they're doing bad things, and then they hide and feel guilty. A little tiny kid can do something wrong and it, because we all have a conscience. And if you allow that, those things to go, if you don't punish bad behavior, and later in life you don't punish crimes, what happens? The heart begins to grow hard, and after so many times of getting away with things, you tend to not feel guilty about it anymore. And that becomes the way you are. And we have people running around all over this country that have gotten to that point where they can go out and commit horrible crimes against innocent people and not feel one bit guilty about it. it your mind changes. That's why we got to protect the young people and don't let that happen. 
Now, all right, I haven't even got to. The, so down in 31 says, without natural affection, right in the middle of verse 31. Again, all the newer versions of the Bible change it to the same thing they did over in the other place. Heartless, unloving, inhumane, without love. Now, do you, do you understand that a person like me who wants to preach the Word of God and preach against worshiping creation, uh, preach against the murder of little babies inside their mother's womb, should be the safest place they'll ever be in their lifetimes. It's a very dangerous place to be. At least one million a year in this country alone are violently ripped from the mother's womb. So if I want to preach on that, because you got people on the news, and I've been informed this morning there was another one that a, a person who's been in church, or there's pastors all over the place, they call themselves pastors, that say the Bible says nothing about it. But yet I preached two whole sermons on it and showed you all the different places. And I actually didn't even show you everything. I skipped over the most obvious, thou shalt not kill. I didn't even use that one. And that's the obvious one. So if I'm preaching the Word of God and I have without natural affection, that's, that's part of my arsenal. Well, it's been taken away out of the new versions and the words that are put in the place of it is what those people who I'm preaching against, they would turn those words on me and say that I'm inhuman, I'm unloving, right? The sword that I have right here, this Word of God, that I'm supposed to use to fight against all those things has been changed to where it can be used against me. And any pastor who stands up for the Word of God and preaches on homosexuality, abortion, those types of things, you're under attack from the, from the other side. And even your very own, who claim to be Christians, who will say that I'm unloving and I'm heartless because I'll preach on those things. But yet, I just want people to stay out of hell. Because that's where you're going if you don't go by the Word of God. So that's just, that's just the little, you know, introduction to today's sermon. Now we're going to get into the sermon. <clears throat> so we've been in Colossians, and you can turn there. We won't be there very long, <laughs> but we're going to read a few verses out of Colossians. We, we've talked about the whole first chapter of Colossians. And it is the deity of Jesus Christ. The, the first chapter just really tries to get you to understand that Jesus is the head of the church, and when you ignore him, or you take him out of the center of everything you do and push him to the side like so many John 3.16s that you can pick up all these different versions of the Bible and you start reading them and the sun is pushed one way or the other where he's not in the center anymore. And that's what's happened in the church. Jesus Christ, the head of the church, needs to be in the middle, in the midst, 
the center of everything we do. And Colossians 1 tells us that. The whole book of Colossians is, is telling us that. And then we went over to John chapter 1, talking about the Word, capital W, Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. And that shows Jesus and His deity. Talked about Hebrews 1. And y'all would, y'all would have to go, and we, we're going to hit that before, I don't know when, sometime before the end of the year, we're going to get into some Hebrews. And Hebrews 1, the deity of Christ, made so much better than the angels. But yet, he was sent to earth to be a little less than the angels in a human body. To be, part, to be a part of God's family. It, 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 at the beginning of uh, Colossians 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. See, it was the will of God that Paul was going to be an apostle. That's his gift. And he has got authority in what he does. It wasn't people who picked him to write this, but God himself picked him to do this and many other epistles. To the saints and faithful brethren. See, we're part of that, brethren. This is a family unlike any other family. And families are very important. Human families are very important. But most of them are broke up. Most of them are really messed up. But we have a godly family that we can be a part of, and it always works out when you're truly a child of God. So we are children of a common father in Christ. That's our spiritual position. And how could a mere human dare to stand in the presence of Almighty God? How is that possible? Because the one, capital O, one, Jesus, who is infinitely high, has become intimately nigh, close to us. He left heaven, came down here, was born as a baby, and grew up, tempted in all points like we are, so he can, he can understand what we go through. And then he died for us on the cross. All right, last week, at the end of the sermon, we, I wanted to hit the faith, love, and hope. That's in verses 4 and 5. And we talked about 1 Corinthians 13, and we talked about uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 8. Now, I want to go to 1 Thessalonians. I told you all, if you, want, if you want to read the first chapter of 1 Thessalonians, to do so. So now we're going to there, we're going to read it. It's only a 10-verse chapter. It's not long at all. So, go to Thessalonians. I don't think I marked it because it's so close. All right, I'm there. 1 Thessalonians. No, I'm in 2. Sorry, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And listen very carefully. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, those who fight against the Trinity or who say that Jesus is just a really special person or he was created along with Lucifer and they were brothers and 
one was the bad one and one was the good one. Those, all those people who say that, they'll point out a place like this where it, it, it separates the two. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's plenty of places that show you that they're different persons in the Trinity. They are different, but yet they're one God. You've got the Holy Spirit, the Father, and the Son, they're all together. I showed you last week in 1 John 5, 7, it's destroyed. The Word, capital W, Word, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit is taken out of all new, new versions of the Bible, all of them. They're, it's gone. The Trinity's gone. But in the King James, it's still there. The Word, the Father, and, and the Spirit, the three that bear witness in heaven. So they are different, but they're the same. In the beginning, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That was in John 1. Hard to get your head around sometimes. If you've never heard any of this, it's like, what, wait, is it two, or is it one, or is it three? Is it, it's, it's, it's one times one times one equals one. So don't try to do one plus one plus one. That'll be three gods. But it's one times one times one. One God. Remembering with, uh, without ceasing your work of faith. So this is, uh, oh, I, I'm, in, I'm in Thessalonians. I'm, we give th- this is verse 2. We give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers. 3. Remembering without ceasing. Remember the faith, love, and hope. Okay? Faith, love, and hope in verse 3. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith. Notice the wording there. Work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. So there's the faith, love, and hope. Now you see why I had three different places we were going to go to but because I just got off on all those other things that was really making me mad, it, I, don't, I wasn't able to get there. Verse 4. Knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God. That word, election, causes a lot of people problems. And you know, if you picked up on the hints that I've given over the last several sermons, I am not what you would call a Calvinist. I am not, I don't believe that God elects some to be saved and some to be lost. I don't don't believe that. Because John 3.16 says that whosoever believes, whosoever. I shared a verse not too long ago that talked about Paul enduring so that maybe even the elect could be saved. I shared that verse. I shared the verse out of Second uh, Peter that it's, it, God is not willing that any should perish, but all to come to repentance. He wants all. So, what does this word election really mean? This is the Greek word, eklogi, I guess. It's E-K-L-O-G, and then E with the little mark that makes the E, the E sound. And give, to give you an example of where that word, Greek word is used is in Acts 9. And uh, 
we really need to talk about that story. But, it's, but Jesus actually speaks out to Ananias and says, for he, talking about Paul or Saul at the time, Saul of Tarsus, for he is a chosen vessel unto me. So the apostle Paul, when he was Saul of Tarsus, what was he doing? He's killing Christians. He was going out and persecuting Christians, putting a stop to this crazy new thing. And so in Acts chapter 9, we're all over the place today. So Acts chapter 9 is when Paul, it's called the conversion of Saul. So Acts chapter 9, and most of you know the story very well. He's on the road to, say it loud, Damascus. He's on that road. He's going to persecute and to find people. And he is, and this is verse 3, after the word Damascus, it says, And suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecuteth cutest? a second person, thou me. And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. All right, and, and, and if you have a newer version of the Bible, the first part of this won't be there. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, that all of what I'm reading right now, you're not going to see in a new version. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Now, in most, every new version of any Bible is going to say what's the second half of the verse. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Those are my pronouns, thee and thou. I'm going to start putting them on my shirt. You ever, have you seen that? You got the big name tag and a little space for pronouns. Would that be good? Thee and thou? Does that make sense? I might put that on there. And the men which journeyed with, with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. All right, so if you, you go on down a ways... The Lord, in a vision, this is verse 10, to Ananias. And Ananias is like, uh, I'm here, Lord. And he tells Ananias to go to the, to, to the street, which is called Straight. And he's telling Ananias, go, this guy named Saul of Tarsus, uh, I need you to go because he's blinded and he needs to be healed and he's, he needs to be told some things. And I need you to go. And Ananias is kind of arguing with Jesus. Is that a good idea, to argue with the Lord? But he's, but he's got a really good excuse. He's very well in tune with what's been going on, and he knows exactly who Saul of Tarsus is. And he said, uh, <laughs> I don't know about this. And he's saying, Lord, don't you know who this is? Like the Lord doesn't know. And he said... And I'm over in 15 is what I just hinted to just a minute ago. But the 
or said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel, elected. God handpicked him for a purpose. He is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. What about a, what about a whole nation that's God's elect? Would that be fair? You might not think it's fair. All the nations of the world back when God chose Israel could have said, that's not fair. Why would He choose them and not us? Well, He can choose who He wants to choose. And He happened to choose Israel through the covenant He made with Abraham, and they were God's chosen people. They were the elect of God. And many times when you see the word elect in the Scriptures, it's talking about Israel. Now you have those who mess up the elect thing will also be the same ones who will say that the church is the replacement for Israel. Okay, The church, what we're doing right now, and, and what we're a part of, the kingdom of God, it was hidden. It was talked about in ways, but nobody ever picked up on it. None of the apostles picked, I mean the uh, prophets, they didn't pick up on it. The angels looked into it. They couldn't pick up on it. But there was this mystery that was hidden, and it's the church age, the dispensation of grace that we're in right now. Well, there are those who say that the church has totally replaced Israel and God is completely done with them. I'm like, have you read Daniel? Did Daniel fall out of your Bible? Did Romans 9, 10, and 11 fall out of your Bible? It clearly says, is God done with Israel? God forbid, absolutely not. But they are in a holding pattern until we get through this dispensation of grace and the church, the people of the church get taken out and then the last seven years of the 490 years that's in the book of Daniel will be played out and Israel, it's all about Israel. I've talked many times about Revelation 2 and 3 and how it talks about all the different churches, the seven churches, and how it matches up with the church age. And guess what? We're in the seventh one, the church of Laodicea. We're there. We are very lukewarm as a church, the church, the body of Christ. Very lukewarm. So I believe we're at the end of the church age and this... Uh, Time, this dispensation of grace is very, very sh short. We don't have much left. I don't, I don't think we do. Now, I could be wrong, but you better be ready. You better be ready. Paul, or, the, or Saul, his name hadn't been changed quite yet, but he was chosen to do something very special. Now, God predetermined that He was going to make a way by sending Himself in the form of a human being down to this earth so that He could be the perfect ultimate sacrifice for each and every person on this earth. You have a free will. 
You have a free will. <clears throat> All right. Uh, back over in Thessalonians. All right. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God for our... This is, this is Thessalonians chapter 1, verse uh, 5. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. So why did they become followers? Because they heard the word and the Holy Spirit was doing something to them and somebody brought the word to them. But what if the word never got to them? Would you just say, oh well, they were just the unelect? Well, that takes all the responsibility off of you. You're supposed, you're called to take the word of God somewhere and you don't do it and God doesn't make it happen and say, oh well, it just must not have been part of God's plan. And then you just end up being very lazy Christians because God wants me to do it, He'll make me do it. Really? Why did the Apostle Paul set out on the first missionary journey? And then why did he go on the second and the third? He knew the Word of God had to go to places where they hadn't heard. I was talking in Sunday school this morning about the jail being built in 2009, and I watched it being built for about a year, and I just felt led that the gospel needs to go there. And through a former pastor of mine, y'all, most of y'all met him, uh, he made it work to where I was a nobody. But yet, I went in there, and it started my, what led up to this, what I'm doing today. So 11 years of being at the jail every week, taking the gospel where it had not been before. Because it was a brand new place. The Apostle Paul was all about that. I don't know how many people I, I was able to touch with the Word of God, but we prayed that Hildred, that's where I met Hildred. We, we prayed for him today. Hildred was in the jail. He became my, my praise and worship leader in the Bible, in the, in the Bible study up there. He was the prayer man. And when, we, and when they all left the room to go back to their pod, everybody knew who Hildred was, and then they knew they needed to get that prayer in his notebook. And every, every night that we all came in there and I started getting into something and I forgot to pray to start things out, Hildred was going to fix that right away. And he would, he would say, whoa, whoa, we haven't prayed yet. I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. Anybody got any requests? And they'd all start giving the request to Hildred. He was over there writing it in a notebook. And then he would pray. And y'all heard him pray. Pretty, pretty impressive. And then he would sing a song. And then we would get into the Word. That's how it worked there. I loved going there. Loved it. I saw people changed. I saw dead eyes become alive. It's awesome stories from there. All right, let's go down to... I'm going to just go to a verse at the end of chapter 2 of Thessalonians, just so you can see it. Talking about... <clears throat> the people who are trying to stop the spreading of the word, their own countrymen, 
was trying to stop what they were doing. And 15 says, Who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us, and they please not God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved. Did you hear that? Forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved. To fill up their, their sins always, for the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. So, Paul is saying, look, if we are forbidden or we're kept from taking the gospel to the Gentiles, then they won't be saved. We've got to get the gospel to people. That's our job. We can't be so worried about figuring out everything God does and what the Holy Spirit does. We just pray that the Holy Spirit goes before us and makes everything good so that when so pre- the Holy Spirit will go and prep the ground, cultivate it, and then we come behind with this, which is the Word of God, which is the seed, and we throw the seed. And hopefully it lands on a soft, cultivated heart, and it'll take root, and something will come out of it. We have a job to do. Don't count on predestination, Don't count on being one of the elect because I've read my Bible and I know a whole bunch of the elect died in the wilderness that never got to the promised land. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us, Father. Just The Holy Spirit would would be working in us that we would see your word and that we would believe it for what it says. And Father, I pray that each and every one of us here, anybody who's listening on the CD or the podcast that are out there listening to this, that they would have total confidence that they actually can get a hold of the preserved Word of God and that it is perfect and that they would handle it, they would read it, and it would get into their minds and hearts. And Father, that it will do what you want it to do. And Father, I pray that each and every one of us who calls ourselves Christians would have a heart to take this gospel message to those who need to hear it. Thank you, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.